I can tell you're having fun with this. And oftentimes, you know, we get to the point where it's a chore or it's too much or you're unsustainable and like, what are the challenges, all the complaints? And like, those are the things that we tend to talk about because those are real aspects of being in open source as well. Community, culture, all these things that are problematic or challenging. We talk about those things because it's like, how do we figure out these challenges? But one thing we don't maybe say often enough, you know, why do open source? And a lot of times it's like, throw your hands up. Like, well, why am I doing this? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're doing it to make, I tell people all the time, if you're doing open source to make money, there's a lot more more direct lines to money there's much better use of your skills if you all you want is money but let's not forget why we are here in the first place either as users or maintainers or creators when you put something out into the world and people find value in it and it's fun and you can make it better that provides more value to more people it's pretty rad it really is Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. Welcome to the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of the software world. I'm Jared Santo, managing editor of Changelog.com. Carbon is an open source web app that helps you create and share beautiful images of your source code. Whether you've used Carbon personally or not, odds are you've seen its dent on the universe of social code sharing. Mike Fix has been maintaining Carbon for a few years, and he's embraced the project as an opportunity to experiment and practice working in public. On this Maintainer Spotlight episode, we chat with Mike about building Carbon, growing its community, sustainability models, and why he loves the world of open source. This special flavor of the changelog is co-produced in partnership with our friends at TyLift. Check them out at TyLift.com. Okay, let's do this. Take it away, Adam. I'm not sure, Mike, where I saw this at, but I saw we just had uh, Zena Rocha on talking about Dracula Pro, and I saw Dracula Pro on Carbon. I was reminded how cool what you have made is, and I was like, we should talk to Mike. This is cool what he's done, and this is like totally a maintainer spotlight show. And so let's start there. So you've got Carbon out there. Lots of people use. I mean, lots of people use it. So including us, including us. And now you have Dracula Pro. There's two, so cool for supporting Zeno and, and that theme. But uh, how'd you get started with this? Yeah, so Carbon goes way back to when we were, me and my two partners, friends from college, started a small business. And we were really passionate about open source. And we wanted, like, one of my partners was a designer, and I often would nag him to come up with some, like, nice background to, like, tweet something out and share, like, some open source we were working on or whatever. And I was like, man, well, I don't really want to like take designers times and I don't really want other developers to take designers times from their teams. So like maybe we can like automate this. And during the summer, it must've been like three years ago now, they moved out and lived in a spare bedroom in my apartment in San Francisco. And we just prototyped it over the course of a week or so and then launched it. And we kind of knew that if, if anyone would start using it at all, it would kind of be this self self-replicating cycle right. where when people use it they share it they use it they share it and it it's just been that way since the beginning but yeah we've loved to see how it's grown since then and and Zeno reaching out about Dracula Pro is just kind of the goal from the beginning right is like to share things that developers love to share these this tool that 
kind of bridge the gap between engineering design and, and folks that love both uh, and giving them a tool that like makes it a lot easier for educators, for, for writers, for teachers, for developer advocates, that sort of thing. So Carbon, to describe it as a website where you go and you put your code in and it gives you a shiny, very attractive display of that you can then use on the social networks or take it, put it in your README, uh, share it with friends. Yeah. Very cool. Create and share beautiful images of your source code. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just when you say it that way, I know it sounds like we're just doing it for show, but it, at the same time, I like to think about it as making it a lot easier to consume code through these mediums that that make it difficult right now. So like through like uh, through Twitters or through blogs or uh, in a presentation, like you, you still do want these presentation layers because it, it not only makes it easier on your eyes, it makes it easier to look at, but it actually makes it easier to consume the information when you have the correct syntax highlighting, when you have a consistent consistency between all your files, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it just makes it easier on educators that mm. way. And we've seen that to be, to be true. I mean, I was like stoked recently to find out that like NASA has these and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory has standard guidelines for like sharing code presentations when they want to do updates um, on what they've been working on recently. And they explicitly recommend Carbon as a way to like present that code in a way that's it's better for consuming on the other end. And so that stories like that is what really excites me about Carbon and how it how it's grown over time. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the initial goal of producing it on day one, just in response to wanting to tweet easier. Wanting to tweet easier. So we initially covered this back when it was first launched. And when Adam came to me and said, hey, let's do a show with the carbon person, I said, isn't that like a an agency or something? I, maybe I'm just misremembering, but was there like kind of, were you, were you and your buddies kind of presenting this as a business or like an open source project from your business? And maybe that has drifted away because I thought I thought it was actually a design agency that like put this out there. And now yeah. it's not like that anymore. Or am I just misremembering? No, yeah. We put it out when we were working together as Don Labs, which is a design development okay. studio that we came up with together. And from the beginning, I think we wanted Carbon to be its own community. Mm-hmm. But while we were you know, running a business, it didn't make as much sense. So when the business uh, split apart and we took went on to our next thing, I was really happy in the sense that we would have an easy transition for Carbon to move into its own community, have its own hub on GitHub, have its own have its own voice on the internet, like have its own Twitter uh, channel and that sort of thing. And yeah, it really gave it a space to grow in a different way. Yeah, so you're not misremembering okay. that at all. Good, because I think I, I thought I was taking crazy pills for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. So it's cool when you come across something like this that, like you said, it's self-replicating because it's a tool for sharing. The tool itself gets shared. And of course, because the results are really nice looking and everyone's used to sharing, you know, maybe a screen grab from their text editor or whatever we've been doing previously. You see a carbon screen share and you're like, I want that. It kind of grows like wildfire. But I'm curious if the contributor side, the community side, has grown alongside the user side because lots of times we see this discrepancy where the user growth on open source project is just skyrockets and the team just stays small or the one person or sometimes in your case maybe three. Have you seen contributor growth alongside the user growth or has there been that mismatch? 
there's we're definitely like a staple mismatch case. And if, if you're reading Working in Public by Nadia, right, we're like the stadium case where a lot of people are looking at it, but no one's really touching it. And I think that's totally fine and appropriate. Like an open source application maybe shouldn't have the same number of contributors as something like, you know, a library or framework. But yeah, contributor growth is not that high, right? Like, I don't know, for how many users we have and how many stars on GitHub or whatever it is, there's only been like 100 contributors. And when I think about it, like I'm stoked we have 100 contributors, but that's definitely a big mismatch from, you know, hundreds of thousands of users, mm-hmm. which is fine. Yeah, every single contribution that does come in, then I get really stoked and re and revitalize and like reimagine like the hopes of open source in general. Mm-hmm. And we've had, I've had contributions recently that have been among the best contributions ever from just people just coming at discovering carbon for the first time. And, and honestly, like coming in and fixing bugs that have existed since three years ago that I've never been able to solve, never been able to have the time or, or different perspective to take a look at that. And so that's just, always gives me energy to keep going, for sure. What's the state of the project? Is it still in quite a bit of motion? Is the, you know, I'd imagine it started with a, a fairly simple goal, which is show off beautiful code and images, and that doesn't seem to have changed a ton. What is the trajectory of the project? What is changing that requires sort of like, when we think about projects, maybe say Kubernetes, for example, requires tons of complex changes, a lot of hands, whereas Carbon you know, to compare, they're quite different in terms of projects, but they're still open source. And when we compare stadiums versus this or that, in terms of this, these metaphors to compare projects in, in open source, what's the state of carbon in terms of product or what it produces or the end result? Is it changing a lot or is it sort of static? Yeah, it goes in waves. It's a matter of taking a bunch of ideas and ask from users over time and then figuring out how that actually translates into a feature because like we want to be efficient with how we we build these features out like for example if people ask like i want to share this on my website can you make publishing it to imager a thing or publishing it to this platform a thing but maybe taking a step back the right solution is to create an api or create like um, a save snippet feature and so it's kind of like it, it goes in waves that way collecting a ton of feedback from people um, use cases talking to folks um, and then translating that into new lower level systems that that scale across more more user problems because I'm the only developer maintainer on the project now. So I care a lot about sustainability of these features. If I'm going to push it public or create new features, I care a lot about the fact that those features will remain stable even without much intervention. And so a lot of the contributions I make in the interim is just cleaning up code, cleaning up bugs, making things, utilizing new technologies to make things even more stable such that in the future, there's less intervention with these sorts of things. And it's really like a testament to how I, as it's kind of like a case study on creating an open source application that is self-sustaining in every mechanism of what you can imagine, right? So the code is continually getting compressed and using the right technologies for the right use cases so that it remains stable. But also the app itself is hosted on now or Vercel, which is free. And we don't pay for a domain. We don't pay for hosting. We don't pay for any aspect of that thing, which is very huge for the project because mm-hmm. we don't necessarily want to have to rely on 
selling something in order to keep this app afloat. We wanted to sustain itself and let people utilize it as a public good. Mm-hmm. And then the last piece there is like, yeah, we like in the last wave of what's next for carbon, right? I built a system of storing snippets so you could save later. And then when you share those snippets on Twitter or whatever, they automatically unfurl and they can point, they point back to source, which lets you do a lot of things. Like you can remix uh, snippets just like you would like GitHub gists, that sort of thing, duplicate them, edit them, reference lines of text in them. That, And that was something that might've seemed obvious for a while, but it was, we were hesitant to maybe go that direction because there's a cost associated. We need a database. We need to store these things. And we don't want the cost of that to actually hurt the project in the long run mm. where we're, we have to shut down things or, or roll back features or what, whatever it may be. Um, so very careful with with our solutions there to make sure the project sustains itself. And so that's why we have like a Firebase mm. database and Firebase auth and things that scale for a developer team the size of what we have yeah. so yeah that has been our approach so what what's next i guess is like there's definitely like longer term things we would we we could easily do um a lot of the the main thing that people request a lot is like a carbon api that lets you you know hit our api and get back an image so that you can use it in some other way and it's really funny that people like ask or ask for that. Uh, and, and more recently in the last couple of months, people have like built their own like third party APIs that, you know, scrape our website and return the images themselves. And the funny thing about that is like, we've always actually had an API, like the main functionality of the site doesn't, doesn't work on Safari. So we've had to use an API that spins up headless Chrome in Safari for Safari users, hits the API, returns the image back to them. Um, and so that's always existed and we could release it pretty much at any time. But the, the thing about that is like, we're not sure we want to release it because there's better mechanisms for sharing code than there are an image. Yeah. Right. There's the save snippet idea, which always has the alt text for accessibility. It always points back to source so people can copy paste it easier. Um, you can use an embed, which allows you to do like, uh, copy text buttons, that sort of thing, or like highlight the code, which are all more accessible mechanisms than using an API to return just a static mm-hmm. image. And so that's our, our hesitation is not that we don't want to give users what they want, but we want to like create a tool that's actually good for the end users, right? The people that are consuming this code, helping educators a way to share their code in a way that the end consumer will be able to consume it easy. Yeah, that's really cool. I never thought about all those little concerns. Of course, you thought about this deeply and we've just used it. So that's really neat. I'm curious what that Safari issue is. Like, why can't Safari do is the some of the image creation side or what? Yeah, there's this weird thing where I think it has to do with how they handle foreign objects and SVGs or something like that. Um, and basically, like the library that we use to translate an HTML chunk to an image it fails in a low level event in Safari. And so when we shipped to carbon Safari didn't work at all. And for like months it didn't work. And so like our solution, cause we knew this was like a low level browser incompatibility was to just like spin up Chrome in the background and fire the data off to a headless Chrome browser and then send back the snippet to Safari. Mm. That's how we get around it. Yeah. And that's been there since <laughs> for a long time now, We originally treated it as just like, 
you know, supporting Safari, but really we had to build like an API to replace the in-browser feature. That's a really cool hack. So in every other browser, it's just generating that image right there in your browser. Uh, Carbon isn't doing anything on the back end unless you're using Safari. Yeah, and the goal there is like we want this thing to be completely offline capable. Yeah, less back end the better, right? Yeah, you can download it like as a progressive web app, use it offline, it'll work on airplanes, that sort of thing. That's um, cool. Yeah, so that's that's part of the reason for that constraint for sure. That's the best place to use Carbon because you might be doing a presentation or something like that. Trying to get it ready. Dropping some code in there. Yes. One of many best places at least. But who flies anymore? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. Touche, Jerry. It was a good idea at the time. People too, then they're like write blog posts and that sort of thing on yeah, planes yeah. or work on their presentations. So we definitely want to let them take advantage of it if they need. I had no idea you could run it offline like that. That's pretty neat. One of the things the tool does, which we haven't talked about yet, is like you can customize the look and feel to the hilt, right? You can pick the fonts, you can pick the colors, you can say it if you want like the Mac OS Chrome or you don't want that Chrome, or they're just like you can really trick these out to look exactly the way that you want them. And I'm sure if you had like the offline app, you could probably set up your config and like just leave it like that all the time if you have like your style and not have to go back. Is there also session state where you can store your settings maybe like in local storage or are there accounts or anything like that? It's grown over time. So like at first we did local storage. So right, if you're just uh, not logged in and you're editing it, it'll save your current state in local storage. If you open up the app again, it'll be the same. And you can like reset it. There's a button to reset it if you want to go back to zero. After that, we implemented like uh, URL storage, so like it saves your current state in the URL for most properties. So if you wanted to like create a like a theme or something or a specific config mm-hmm. and then share it with people, you could just copy paste the URL and they'll have your theme instantly. After we had those two pieces in place, then we implemented an ability to like export your current config and then import it. So if you wanted to share it as a file instead or something or save a bunch of them offline, you can do that. And then finally, late last year, we implemented uh, like profiles basically where you can sign in with your GitHub ID, create save snippets, which both save the code and the config in a single snippet. And you can like always, you could like always go back to that snippet and then duplicate it if you wanted to always have the same theme there. So yeah, lots of different mechanisms for, for saving state there. Y'all have put a lot of work into this thing. It's like a well-crafted, like expanded over time, right? Like progressively enhanced, not in the way of a web app, but just in the way of like getting better over time. I mean, that's really cool. So much work goes in behind the scenes. You don't even think about all these little features unless you're the one that's like, I really want to save my config. And lots of us just, I just load up the website and I, I actually just reconfigure it each time and you know use it and I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I grab my image and I hop out. Yeah, and that's that's totally fine too. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to grow like this over time, but it's been such a fun experience to see new people using it in new, unique ways. You know, back to the NASA story, back to uh, all the other folks that share it and use it in like their books or in their presentations or what have you. That's what's like been inspiring to like keep moving forward yeah. with these features. And there's like there's more we can do, right? We can like make a theme storefront that people can like share their themes public or whatever or all sorts of stuff like that. So there's there's more we can do. We're not doing everything right, right. but it has been fun to just, to just to be a maintainer. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's what gets me most excited about it. Is like to have this thing that's in the public that lets us experiment with all sorts of facets, right? Like maybe unique business models we can experiment with. 
We can experiment with Open Collective. We can experiment with the cutting edge Next.js features. We can experiment with how we maintain a repository. Like we have like our own custom bot that's set up to like do like merge pull requests and respond to issues and label things a certain way. And those are all the things that we can ex- work on in public. And that's, what's been most exciting is just like mm-hmm. to be the maintainer throughout all of those um, pieces of work. Mm-hmm. I think that's an aspect of open source that we don't maybe talk about so much, maybe because it's implied here on the change log, especially with maintainer spotlight the freedom. Well, just how fun it is to like create a thing and people find value in it and it gets better. Like you work on it and more people use it and you can experiment. And I mean, this is really, I can tell you're having fun with this. And oftentimes, you know, we get to the point where it's a chore or it's too much or you're unsustainable and like what are the challenges right and like all the complaints and like those are the things that we tend to talk about because those are real aspects of being in open source as well right community culture all these things that are problematic or challenging we talk about those things because it's like how do we figure out these challenges but one thing we don't maybe say often enough you know why do open source and a lot of times like throw your hands up like well why am i doing this right <laughs> yeah uh if you're doing it to make i tell people all the time if you're doing open source to make money there's a lot more direct lines to money right there's much better use of your skills if you all you want is money but let's not forget why we are here in the first place either as users or maintainers or creators is like when you put something out into the world and people find value in it and it's fun and you can make it better and that makes that provides more value to more people I mean, it's pretty rad. It really is. Yeah. And the other piece there is like, I like being a maintainer in it so far as that I can empathize with what being a maintainer is like, because I'm very passionate about figuring out how we can support maintainers that have a much larger burden on themselves than I do. And it feels like it would be difficult for me to like, form opinions or try to find solutions for those sorts of problems without being a maintainer myself. That's a big impetus for me getting Mm -hmm. into that space. And yeah, because going back to what Adam said about like freedom, I'm very passionate about the idea that in the future, there are pathways for a career for that young developers to utilize open source as the mechanism for their creation in a way that they could work on it full time. And maybe they don't like have a full developer salary and that stuff, but they can make a stable living creating through these platforms. Cause I think it does create a lot of aspects of a more equitable world when you're just utilizing open source as a delivery mechanism. And along those lines in the future, I can imagine companies who have a mission and a mission that resonates with a lot of people. There's a lot of developers that potentially would love to contribute to that mission and but still want to maintain their freedom. They want to maintain the optionality of not being employed somewhere, having the freedom to take advantage of their own lives and maintain their own schedules, but yet still contribute to these missions at large. And that, that's something I think open source has is a stable foundation to help facilitate. And it is a matter of like figuring out how to fund it in the correct ways where people are appreciative for their work in some way. So what's your goal then with carbon? It started out as a, a way to save time from people essentially like put code out there in fun ways, but save somebody's a designer's time. 
what's the goal now? Like it, it's evolved over yeah. many years. So what's the situation? Yeah. So in terms of like, as a product, it's kind of doing its job. And if it never changed again, I think I would still be happy with it. And the reason I keep wanting to change it and maintaining it and pushing it forward is to act as like a public staple of open source. Like the fact that is that like, there's not too many products that are fully open source. And I want it to act as that figure, that symbol for people that want to like operate their business or their product in a, in a different way and still show that it can have reach, that it can have impact, that maybe in the future that it can like make money, right? We're not like making money with carbon, not because it's open source, right? We're making, we're not making money because there's not really like potentially the right business model yet or something like that. But that's kind of always the goal with, with carbon is to like show a different way of doing of making progress on something while being transparent, while utilizing these mechanisms that don't really translate well in a, in a closed source business. Um, people can see all of our thought processes in public. Mm-hmm. They can see all the mistakes we've made. They can see the trade-offs that we're making explicitly in the code. And that's those sorts of things just don't come about when you have a closed source thing. And we want to be a stable that people can point to when they're considering, Hey, like, I'm building a service, like maybe my front end should be open source so that people can understand uh, how it's being u- used, that sort of thing. Lots of different goals wrapped up, um, and a lot of it is just evangelizing open source as the right mechanism for getting things done. Hmm. You mentioned open collective as one means. You mentioned, you know, I guess details around business models you may or may not pursue or not being available now. Sometimes the problem or just the challenge is, is there's not an obviously natural business model to use. And I, I haven't put a ton of thought into it because it's not my job to do so, I suppose, for Carbon, but maybe you have in terms of like, what are some of the naturally just obvious business models that could work and not change, I suppose, the potential icky factor between the, its users just so it can sustain? And I would say dovetail that with the fact that you have a full-time gig. You're not trying to make carbon your full-time thing. At least that's the aim of my original question was like, what's the goal? So maybe you can kind of wrap a lot of that up with, uh, I guess, less of a question, but more of an observation. I'm super glad you brought that up. There's lots of different business models you could imagine, right? You could have like a paid subscription for premium features. You could have advertising. And like people have reached out about like advertising on carbon many times. You could just do like a donation-based model of some sorts through like Open Collective, that sort of thing. Or you could have like an affiliate program. And that's what we're doing right now in a sense is like we have some affiliate links with some custom font creators, some custom theme creators like Zeno. And I'm very excited about that option to start with right now, right? It's just like a few links and it links off to these people to, to give people an option to buy themes, fonts, that sort of thing. But if I was going to turn that into an actual business model, I'm most excited about the idea that Carbon, as a page that developers or developers that love design or designers that love development come to a lot, can like see new themes, fonts in a centralized like marketplace. The reason I'm really excited about that is because not that it's going to make Carbon money or anything, but it's going to help a lot of small creators. A lot of small creators yeah. that are creating 
beautiful themes, beautiful fonts, and maybe don't have, you know, 100,000 eyeballs every month, they can just put it up on Carbon and and have that sort of connection point. That That's the, the business model I see mm-hmm. as like the most mutually beneficial. Because like, right, we could toss up ads and like make some money, but it's not going to make enough money to like viscerally change like my happiness and definitely won't improve the user's lives when using Carbon. And so this other thing I think would be kind of like a, a better translation because one, I think it actually would kind of add value to Carbon. Like people could come to Carbon and see like what's new. It's not so static. It's not just like always the same screen every mm-hmm. time. And two, I think that it would parallel well with helping small creators just like we were when we started started Carbon out, right? Like we, we had no audience and we wanted to share this thing we made. That seems like the best business model for us to, to take it in a, in a direction for, but I'm still figuring out how to, to do that that fits well with the community. And like I said before, sustain that program going forward in a more self-serve way. That's what drew me to to do this show because I saw that Dracula Pro was on Carbon. I'm like, that's cool. Like I can imagine its distribution for an indie creator like Zeno. And like I see what you see, which is like this could be a moving billboard, not so much that in terms of like make money billboard, but more like an easy way because it's got a lot of interest and eyeballs using it on the daily. Many engineers all over the world using Carbon. And why not show off fear code and show off Z- – you know, Zeno's work with Dracula Pro or, and I don't know what else is beneath the service because I haven't, I haven't dove in and discovered, but I imagine it's an open opportunity now for, say, the designer behind, I believe it's uh, Inter is the font. That's someone else we want to talk to around Maintainer Spotlight is like making this really awesome open source font that's uh, a lot of people are using. It's amazing. A lot of work I'm sure has gone into it. I'm assuming the story will hear from that, but like you get people like that behind there and you got sort of a distribution channel for indie creators, basically. Yeah, and that, and right now it's kind of just like embedded in the product itself, right? We have we have affiliate links for Dracula Pro, for Mono Lisa, and for Dank Mono. Um, a lot of monos. Never heard of that. And one. what's Dank? Yeah, that one's uh, that one's a font by Phil out of Formidable. Uh, really fun font. It's, it's definitely unique, and I, I, I have that as like my default font on my editor still on my personal computer. And so, yeah, it's like embedded in Carbon right now and probably hard to, to find, and I'm not sure many people even see it coming across like using Carbon in their day-to-day. But the next step then obviously is to like make a more centralized home for these links, like make it like a marketplace where people can actually scroll through it. And I would love to do that. And I would easily put time into creating that. It's just a matter of finding enough tools to showcase. I mean, right now we have three, right? Like that doesn't make much of a marketplace. But if there was like a few dozen small creators that wanted to showcase fonts, their themes, their developer-focused tools, yeah, I would love to help them out. TieLift subscription is a managed open source subscription backed by project maintainers. 
If you're building applications with open source, Tidelift helps you ensure you have components that just work. That includes comprehensive security updates, active maintenance, and accurate licensing. Tidelift helps you speed up your development, save money, and reduce risk when building apps with open source. And the best part of all, with the Tidelift subscription, you help open source maintainers like Nikita get paid for their work. Learn more and get a demo today at Tidelift.com. Well, we've been talking about business models, but each time you bring up a business model, you say, well, this one might not make money, but it's exciting. And are there any money makers like advertising? You, you named a few, but do you feel like, is there a money maker in here? And if not, could this just be a thing supported by the community through GitHub sponsors, through Open Collective? I mean, you could go that traditional, non-traditional route. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like advertising wouldn't make money. It would make money on day one. Advertisers have reached out. Right. It's right now, that's a trade-off in the sense of it wouldn't make enough money to where it would like change the trajectory of my life or like give me more freedom or anything like that and would like maybe hurt the community a little bit or people's perspective on carbon. And so that's the trade-off that I'm making there. Right. Other systems, right, like creating like a premium version of it like I'm sure that would make some money, um, but has you know, eng overhead trade-offs, and potentially that's you know going in the direction of not being able to sustain carbon long-term. And so that's why this sort of developer marketplace idea is the one that is the great middle ground for me. I think it's sustainable. I think it is in line with the people that use carbon, helping like these small developers and designers that um, are self-starters, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and it's sustainable in a way where every dollar it does make is just additional. Like it's not something that I'm relying on. It's not something that, you know, is eating up my developer time or anything like that. That's what makes the most sense in terms of a sustainability aspect. Mm-hmm. What about the donations route? You have open collective, you yeah. have other things going on. You have some backers, you have a spot. It seems like you have all the, all the widgets turned on. Cause like you said, you're experimenting, which is, that's a great place to yeah. do it. Right. What have you found through your experimentations on the donation front? Yeah, uh, the donation front is is cool. Like people have given not as much as or like not enough to make it like a truly like self-sustaining product or anything like that. And so that was part of the experiment, right? It was like figuring that out. And right, we haven't like pushed on this that much. We haven't like shared publicly that we're like asking for donations much. It's kind of just like we, we've posted a, a few times in newsletters and tweets, that sort of thing, uh, reference it in the readme, all that sort of stuff. But I think, yeah, I think this comes down to like the whole stadium aspect of carbon. Like there's just way more users than there are people that feel like they're a part of the community uh, or part of like the contributors. Yeah. Um, even though we have 120 contributors, right? It's not, there's a, definitely a big discrepancy there in those things. And that, and I think that was like, a good insight for me to learn too. It's like I've seen Open Collective make repos, hundreds of thousands of dollars, but that's a very specific type of repo with a specific audience. Right. They're more infrastructure projects. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm glad they make it because they actually do need dedicated engineers with salaries to maintain these projects. And I don't, I'm not sure Carbon is that sort of project that should 
have enough money to sustain a, like a full-time maintainer. Yeah. So I'm happy to have those dollars coming in so that I can give it back to the community. I'm not doing anything with it besides using it for community led things. Like if eventually if we need to like pay for any issues, we'll use that fund. If we want to create stickers, we'll use that fund. If we want to create some other stuff, we'll we'll create that fund. And then, Oh yeah, we just crossed 25 K stars today. Yesterday was 24 K. Congratulations. So we're going to be sending out, sending out stickers. Uh, Yeah. Thank you. I just looked over right now. I didn't even like realize it. Um, But yeah, we're, we're going to be sending out stickers like to the community, hopefully. And so we'll use it for that. Well, here's a crazy idea for you. Maybe you've thought of this one. Yeah. I'll start with the metaphor, an old, old story. In the olden days, you go to the library, you know, and you maybe want to uh, take a page of a book home. And so you go over to the co- copy machine and you plop in 10 cents and you make a scan and it makes a carbon copy and you take that home. Curious if you thought about microtransactions. I mean, what if you just like pitch me a penny per image or I don't know, maybe maybe that's like antithetical to your goals, but have you thought about that? I mean, microtransactions could be a thing. I've thought about it, especially for the API, because for one, like like I mentioned before, not 100% convinced the API is like a net positive thing for like right. consumers. Mm-hmm. And so like if people want to like pay to like do something like to do that for some reason, like maybe that's a more acceptable trade-off. <laughs> Not really sure mm-hmm. though. Yeah. So I've definitely, we've definitely thought about it. And I mean, we have like, uh, if you go into carbon, some, I think there's like a page buried somewhere that describes a, a premium version, which is like something like that. Like they would get, uh, you know, embeddable save snippets, API access saved, like offline saved custom themes and presets and then like Twitter unfurls and like we could expend, extend the API further that way and that would be like a premium feature. Maybe not microtransaction necessarily, mm-hmm. although like I do like what you're thinking there. That would be like a very cool system to have. Um, but yeah, some sort of like subscription model for getting access to that. And yeah, I mean, building a subscription SaaS product nowadays is like getting easier and easier with like, you know, all sorts of different platforms, Sassify, like the Stripe's new billing portal, like all like all sorts of stuff like that makes it easier. So like that's definitely something I should revisit. Mm. See if I can use more of like a self-service uh, system in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you're taking feedback from the user base, is there any demand that kind of gives you an indication that that idea might make sense? Yeah. I mean, we've gotten a lot of people like asking for it. But it's not something that it's like, I need this so yeah. strong. Yeah, it's not yeah. so strong that like, like they ask it in a, you know, a GitHub issue or whatever, or post it on Twitter. But it's, it's not strong enough where you're like, hey, I need to build this platform out and like that put like X more time into building the system, especially when that time can be going into other things that don't make money and still help the community. Right. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to be very cognizant of like how we shape the platform going forward so that it always helps users. It always stays afloat. Right. Yeah. And it always has a home in the open. Yeah. On the feel good front, I really enjoy this being distribution for indie makers. I noticed, as you mentioned, affiliates, you'd mentioned that as a business model earlier in regards to Dracula pro, there's a button next to it that says purchase. Um, 
Is there a list anywhere where, like, I see you've got Night Owl in here from Sarah Drasner? Love that theme. It's super popular on VS Code. Mm-hmm. I saw something recently. There was some sort of fundraiser around. I don't, I don't know what the details are. But, like, there is no outbound link for Night Owl, for example, to, like, go visit it on the Visual Studio Code's website where you can view it and see its source and maybe its homepage or any blog post that Sarah wrote about it, et cetera. It's like, how do you see the resources from a visitor discovery standpoint on Carbon now? Yeah, that's a great point called on. I guess that's what's solidifying my answer here is like, for all the links that we've posted there, it's been the third party led. They've all reached out to me saying, hey, can we get this affiliated link on Carbon? Like that will help me out. Mm-hmm. That will help uh, my tool out. And like, yeah, I would love to link to Sarah's like fundraiser around Night Owl for sure. I don't know. Maybe it just never came across my plate for, for me to, to lead that decision. Yeah. But if if someone wanted to put it up there, I'm sure we'd be able to find a, a good home that fits well within the application for causes that we want to encourage. Right. For tools we want to help out for for cause we want to encourage. I mean, we have like in the footer of carbon, we have an offsets link that is maybe like a tongue in cheek play on the words of carbon offsets, but it links to like project Ren that lets people, you know, offset their carbon production through a monthly subscription. And so that's like something where you're like, well, that's only tangentially related to, to carbon, the tool. Um, but it was a cause that we saw, we had some opportunity to do something about mm-hmm. and wanted to take advantage mm-hmm. of that. And so like carbon has that link there that has encouraged hundreds of people to go visit project Ren and hopefully, you know, start their own subscription, but carbon also like offsets its own monthly, or I mean, own yearly carbon production through project Ren as well. Right. That's part of what we use like our open collective budget for actually. In terms of distribution for indie creators, too, I wonder if you'll eventually run out of themes and need to promote themes, too, or even font faces. I mean, what other creations could go into here that you point out to? Like, as a marketplace, I I, I wonder if that just has a, a certain Limited. threshold where it'll end. Maybe it might promote a new yeah, language, yeah. potentially, because, like, hey, you support a language in the dropdown. In terms of formatting, maybe it's around things like that. But there's obvious growth there, but not, like, you know... Yeah, it's cool that you say that. I'm like, I mean, the way developer tools are going these days is that you build a developer tool, you like raise VC funding, you create a new language, you you have a whole, you know, round of, of venture capital funding in order to like get your team off the ground. And so maybe that is uh, a future where Darklang could have a little affiliate link in Carbon and we add it to that dropdown. Yeah, I, I could see there being a definite threshold. But the interesting part about the, these sorts of shapes of tools is that they're very temporal, right? Like if it meets the threshold now, a year from now, nobody will want to use Dank Mono anymore or people will be on to the new hotness or whatever. And we can like shift it up there, mm-hmm. which is kind of what I like about the marketplace idea is that it's – it's fresher. It gives people something to come and check out what's new. And yeah, I mean, I could see pointing to other things that maybe aren't so digital too. If there's other things that just developers and designers uh, like, I could easily see pointing carbon 
to that as long as there's like a you know a the right way mm-hmm. to fit it within the product so it's not too distracting mm-hmm. yeah i mean well you have a a core promise right like every product has a core promise and deliver that first so yeah i always say sell the knee plant the seed plant the seed is like how can i check out dracula pro in the behind the scenes core product and sell the need is how can i get my code image to use dracula pro <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so yeah don't distract that's what i do like about this system too is that sure we're not give we might we might not be make much money on affiliate links but by putting them on there we get to enhance our own product through with better themes we get to use dracula pro dracula pro is being used on carbon and we get to use these pro fonts for free mm-hmm. right and then we get to kind of extend it to more people as well. So like, that's another reason I like that sort of model is that like, even if it doesn't make money, yeah. which we're obviously not hurting for money right now yeah. as a product, at least we like in continually improve uh, the platform. Um, and affiliates like that are things that I'm definitely eager to try out. Like would love to get some like, like operator mono on there or like other sorts of things that I know developers love, but we can't, put on carbon without having the creator sanction it. So those are some ways that you can extend the product to capture some value, but what about extending the product to create more value? So you said you want to enable creators and teachers to share code in ways that are more valuable and more accessible in all these different ways. Have you considered moving images? Oh yeah, absolutely. We would love to do that. And it's one of the open issues right now. Uh, the cool part about that is someone actually created a prototype of it on carbon on their own branch. And it's up there right yeah. now linking to the issue. That's cool. And it says that you can record it and then you type and it creates this GIF. And they said that they were going to try to like integrate it back into the platform. And I was like, great. We'd love that. Yeah. Like go for it. And that's where we've left it now. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, if, if they don't get to it, eventually maybe I'll get to it and like try to integrate their code back in uh, seamlessly. But if it one, if it is going to be a contributor-led effort, like I would love to have that be a thing, especially for such an amazing feature like that. It's something that I couldn't have imagined myself doing at first. And then someone just comes in and says, hey, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. And they were an educator. I mean, they shared stuff to teach people on Twitter and they wanted to use this these gifts. So yeah, it's a really, really fascinating idea. Well, I see the need for sure. I mean, it's it's a really cool idea, especially refactorings. There's lots of reasons you'd want to show the code moving around, right? Before and after, maybe showing a type or you know, maybe showing an execute. You could probably fake that. Um, and now there is also like ASCII Cinema. I don't know how mm-hmm. you say that. ASCINEMA.org, which is like record your terminal and we'll turn it into a... Is that a movie? I don't know exactly how they implement it, but it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. We would love to make it so that it, you know has not too many options. We probably don't want to turn it into like a full blown studio, right. but like, yeah, definitely like click record and start typing and change your themes or whatever, highlight some stuff. Like that'd be fantastic. And people love to do that for like, uh, you know, tech conferences and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we'd love to help support them in that way too. And that's an issue that at, you know, at first glance I thought like, Hey, like we're not going to support this. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, too much maintenance overhead and then a contributor came in and kind of just like built a prototype and i was like okay maybe we should support this Mm -hmm. and i guess like going back to why i love open source that sort of transaction or exchange would never happen right it just like wouldn't happen in a closed source 
company, which is really cool to see. It's way cool. Yeah, it's spectacular to see that. Like, a you didn't th- maybe you didn't think about it. Sometimes like I didn't even think about that, and then B or I thought about it, but I didn't think I could pull it off. And like, here's the path to pulling it off. Now, whether you can just merge that into your product or not, or if you have to rewrite it with that as inspiration, either way, it served its purpose, right? And that's like amazing. Yeah. It is. It's truly amazing. And yeah, if you go back to the issue thread, I think my initial response was just like, yeah, we're not going to do this. Like it, <laughs> it would take too much time on my that's end or like, I don't know if I can do it. But then, you know, a contributor is like, no, I got it. Like <laughs> step aside, I can totally take care of this myself. And I'm like, that's it's fascinating in terms of, you know, distributed software development, but it's also just like a really cool thing that someone's willing to contribute that. Well, let's use this as an exercise then to maybe real time vet the, how that feature ties into sustainability and the way you, you mentioned like works on a plane, you know, client side, not back end, like real time vet that feature and like how that would change the sustainability tra- trajectory of carbon right here live. Yeah. So that's why I was saying we would want to keep it like pretty not featureful in a sense that like we wouldn't like want to create a ton of different movie files or something. And then like you have to have like an encoding server in the background and maintain all this infrastructure just to create a moving image. But there are things that you can do in the browser. Like you can create a a GIF in the browser without having an internet connection. And so like that seems like a perfect MVP for us to create, uh, get the feature out the door, let people start uh, exporting GIFs or whatever. Um, and still fits the rest of the platform without too much overhead. Yeah. If we can keep it on the front end, we can keep it open source. We can keep it, we can fit it in with the rest of the code that's on GitHub and people can, you know, run the bugs and then post the bugs themselves, fix the bugs themselves. Um, and that's, that helps a lot with the sustainability of, of these sorts of features too. Post a GIF of the bug on the GIF feature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, ran into this export and using the tool itself <laughs> to to post the bug about the tool. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, cool. might work. Might have maybe too buggy. <laughs> yeah. so that's an awesome, you know, open source success story there with that PR. In terms of other issues or user contributions or reactions, have you had any? rough scenarios or you had another any horror stories on the end like that's like the happy story but has, has uh, there been any horror stories well thankfully not actually that's good and i it's interesting that because i know that that happens a lot in other communities and i do think about that a lot in terms of like helping sustain open source like i think it would be helpful for me to you know, be a good example for what a maintainer should do in these sorts of situations, but I've never had to run into them. So maybe I am um, not the right example yet. Yeah. Uh, we have had some like amazing contributions recently that, yeah, like I said, like fixing a bug that's been there since day one, like this contributor came in first time contributor fixed the bug that I, I had been staring at or like tuning and tweaking and fixing issues around it and just creating this mess of code forever and he just comes in and fixes it with a one-line change and creates a pull request, like confirms that all of, everything's still working, all these tests, goes back through all the past issues that we were looking through, makes sure those still all work, and then just like goes about his day. And I'm just like, this is like a really incredible thing that really like reinvigorated what I think about in terms of open source. And another story there is just like, sure, they might be out of date at this point, but right, like, Carbon's readme has gotten translated to 12 languages. 
I can't even like feel how much value that's like actually giving because I don't speak those languages, but I'm happy that someone wanted to do that and like and potentially gave at least the description of what carbon is to like so many different readers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has done something because you can like look at the the map of whatever, like wherever people are like accessing carbon from and it's global, right? It's like people across the world. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Those are the contributions that are really fun to see. Yeah, that's great. Not too many horror stories, though, thankfully, I guess. Hey, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. What about uh, tools and techniques? So as a maintainer of a stadium-style project, you're a one-to-many kind of guy. Do you have any mm. tools of the trade, like things, bots that you've written, or things that you say, I couldn't live without this service uh, when it comes yeah. to maintaining carbon? Yeah. So, I mean, the two main things that like had just kept carbon like a free platform is like, using like now, which has like a free tier that just like lets people like me create stuff. I'm, I'm totally happy with that being a thing. I mean, it's like carbon.now.sh. So like it's a total, it's like a fine trade off there. And then Firebase is another thing that like, really, I don't think we could have like this stored infrastructure in place without that. Cause it's very pluggable. Uh, but yeah, beyond like for, for maintaining stuff, mm-hmm. tools and that sort of thing, I built a bot called, repo ranger repo ranger.com and that's like a bot dedicated to helping alleviate some of the burden of being a maintainer it's very much stems off of my needs but i'm building it with maintainers in mind and i would love to like add features to that bot if other maintainers had them um but it helps like uh, do tons of common interactions right like clo- it merges a pull request for you as soon as the build's done so you don't have to watch it uh, it closes like a duplicate issue if you add a duplicate label, but only after a certain time. So that like it does this like sort of like manual interaction that a lot of people don't like when it comes to bots. But the way we do it is like we don't close it in your face. We just say like, hey, we are going to close this in the future uh, and give people a chance to respond and say, hey, I don't think this is actually a duplicate. I don't think this is actually the sort of thing you're you're seeing it as. And we see that as an acceptable trade-off between keeping a friendly attitude towards our contributors, which we appreciate, and also like automating some of the maintainer burden away. It does a few other things too that we like automated comments just to keep things consistent for some of the issues that we don't want to fix or or can't fix at the moment. That's one of the main like us custom tools we use. Besides that, we use like the all contributors bot to uh, add contributors to our readme. And the fun thing about that is those bots actually talk to each other. So all I do is I add a label, I go away. It merges the pull requests, then it'll add the contributor as a contributor to the product, which the all contributors bot opens a PR. And then that PR is automatically merged by the other bot once the build passes. And it's all like pushed into the same thread without having me having to look at it. And we have a couple pieces in there that is like kind of hooked together with GitHub Actions. Uh, so that's like the last piece that kind of fills in yeah. the infrastructure. That's super cool. We use All Contributors Bot, but I always have to tell it what to do. And then it emails yeah. me telling me that it did what I was supposed to do. And then it gets, then I get the email about the PR that it opened. So I have to basically every time I add someone to our list, I get three emails. And I, yep. I would rather just apply a label. So I have to look into the <laughs> Ranger. And yeah, and take a look at Carbon's, I guess, GitHub Actions workflows. Because we have a workflow in there that says, hey, if you add a contributor label, it'll automatically add 
uh, the comment for you that says like add this author as this person or whatever, right. and then it adds the contributor label to the new PR and everything just kind of works together that way. Um, still would probably get emails, though, ah. but haven't solved that one yet, but uh, everything else is pretty streamlined. And even if sometimes it doesn't necessarily save me time, it, it's just fun cool to see it all yeah. working together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just happy that you got robots talking to robots. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a fun, yeah, it's a fun thing to see happen in the background. To fully appreciate that, you have to have done it manually for a while, though. Yeah. Because, I mean, getting bots to talk together is, is pretty fun. But, like, pushing one thing or making one comment or updating one label and orchestrating what you had once done manually is, like, that's fulfilling. Yeah, for sure. It's cool because, like, I mean, by using labels, that's the reason why Repo Ranger works around labels for the most part. And, and uh, other text-based things, is like, well, it lets you configure it, but it also, like, creates this paper trail of, like, and the system that's like visible about how people coming into the project expect the product to operate like new maintainers to carbon eventually or something could like look at my labels and the descriptions of them and see like, Oh, this is kind of like how this repo is governed. This is like a tangible thing to point to, but how maintainers should operate in carbon. Um, and it also lets people like, you know, they can open a pull request from their command line and add a label with the same tool of the command line and never even open up GitHub. Just like have it all completely automated, but still have the paper trail that is GitHub. In the pre-call, you mentioned uh, being halfway through Nadia's book, Working in Public, which we just put out an episode with Nadia on episode 408. And in regards to that, you mentioned you're halfway through that episode too. So maybe less micro, more macro on open source. What What's changed for you? I guess reading that book and listening to half that podcast, you'd mentioned some big shifts in your mind in terms of open source, big ideas. What were those? Yeah. The thing I'm most excited about in terms of Nadia's book is, well, for one, it's reaffirming a lot of the thoughts that I've had for a while, which is that open source doesn't necessarily have a contributor problem, that there's a lot of other problems in terms of funding and attention and that sort of thing that is still definitely not the public opinion. There's still many people building out platforms that help projects find contributors. And that's not the main problem of open source. So that's the main thing I'm, I'm excited to be affirmed by, by the book. But as a book, I'm most excited is about her like anthropological approach to writing it, to taking ideas and putting labels on them, categorizing things, giving reference points and for things to have further discussions on it. Yeah, this is what I was telling Adam is that like, that's why I'm excited. There's the podcast coming out because that's another data point that referenced back to this book that references all these stories. Uh, and we have this like linkage now for us to build upon a common narrative that will help, I think, set the course for like what we need from an open source industry, right? We need to have main problems be the problems people are aware of. And that book does a fantastic job at categorizing them and figuring out, hey, stadiums suffer from this issue uh, where federations don't. And clubs maybe have this other sort of things that we can pour a different sort of resourcing into. So yeah, that's that's been the main thing that I've been excited about in response to the book. You mentioned in the pre-show also to bring some of that into this actual show, being a fan of requests for commits, which episodes have you listened to? Which ones were your favorite so far? Oh man, I would have to go back and look. It's been a while. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, to be honest. Uh, I'll put them on the spot. 
Well, he'd mentioned uh, listening yeah, to a few, nah. and I mentioned the finale, and that there was a twenty episode series, and we were. I, I shared Jared that uh, I had some, I guess, mourning, so to speak, that that show has an end. Would love to see it come back someday. He'd talked about that. I'm like, well, it's actually done. So, but it's still getting plenty of listens. And uh, if you haven't heard of that yet, request for commits is at changelog.com/rfc. Link in the show notes. And uh, episode twenty was the finale. Yeah, I I remember listening to the one with Henry, um, but I don't remember which other ones off the top of my head. But yeah, love hearing ideas from from the both of them. Actually, Henry's a fantastic model for like what it is to be a maintainer. And honestly, I'm glad he can serve as an example for what I hope people can aspire to in the future, which is like making a career creating open source, like not sacrificing a salary for like building this thing that everyone relies on. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad he can be there to be one example of that. And I hope there's, I hope we tell stories and, and share narratives in a way where in the future, that's more of a commonplace thing and not something that is just like lucky or by chance uh, that, that like actual like kids gr- like going through college can be like, yo, I want to be like an open source developer as my career. And like, there's these steps to do it. Like I get into these systems and like, I learn these skills so that they can, you know, yeah, build software in a, in a different approach because open source is sometimes the right way to do it. And you shouldn't have to trade value, trade, trade money to do it in the right way. Well, Mike, thanks so much for sharing your time today and sharing your story most of all. And uh, appreciate you being an awesome open source maintainer and someone that people can look to for advice, wisdom, and, uh, how to do things right, man. Thanks so much for your time. It's been awesome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Feel free to have people reach out anytime. Love to help. Yeah, thanks for chatting, y'all. This is awesome. Thank you for listening to this Maintainer Spotlight episode, co-produced with our friends at Tidelift. You heard Mike singing the praises of Nadia Ekbal's new book, Working in Public. It just so happens that we have three autographed copies of the book, and we're giving them away to lucky ChangeLog++ members. What's ChangeLog++? Hey, I'm glad you asked. It's our new membership program that we soft launched this month. Support our work, get closer to the metal, make the ads disappear, and get in on cool giveaways like this one at changelog.com slash plus plus. We're picking winners for the Working in Public giveaway on September 1st, so act now. Special thanks to Mike Fix for coming on the show, to the Beat Freak, Breakmaster Cylinder for our excellent music, and to our longtime sponsors Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar for helping us do what we do. That's all for now. We'll talk to you again next time.